0: plushcare.com slash weight loss
1: hello welcome to man baggage my name is russell kane and my man baggage is bulging once again with viscous insights thank you for keeping all of your wonderful messages coming to me, keep the tweets coming, keep the private messages coming. I am astounded sometimes that some of the subjects we speak about actually move some of you to contact me. The scrotal shaving episode and how many of you confided in me after that. By the way, we did do a poll. I'm afraid it's 50-50. You're just going to have to ask the person you're dating whether they're into scrotal shaving. There is is no rule on that one. We do continue to hunt for rules in this complex age where there are no rules and nothing means anything and we live in a postmodern age, but you can be counted Cancelled in five seconds flat if you say the wrong thing. How have we ended up in a world of simplistic thinking mixed up where nothing has definitions? That's why we're here, guys, to unpick things. And man baggage is really important because, as we know, the extent of some men to confide in other men is uh, followed by uh, followed by Stella, followed by Terminator, followed by talk about it tomorrow. Not on this space. We're in the back of a taxi and you're going to share in an unseemly way all your problems with each other. That's all my guests. And what a man's brain I have to interrogate today. Justin Morehouse. We've gigged together many times. We've worked together. He's an extremely talented stand-up comedian, radio presenter, controversial, I'm assuming he's been poached as he's just moved from one high-profile post to another, I hope, Justin.
2: No, I've just been sacked.
1: Sacked he is. Sacked for being too pioneering and innovative, I imagine. Just an all-round talented, barnstorming, tub-thumping, energetic performance. And we did a gig. I was just telling this story the other day, Justin.
2: Oh, I know where we're going to go.
1: We were on stage together. And you are quite vulnerable after you do stand-up. You sort of let all your emotions go. All your alpha male and testosterone is bled from you. You're sort of a vulnerable, shaved newborn, covered in the amniotic fluid of ego. And we pulled over (laughs) to get some petrol and just, I'm just going to pop into the garage, just pay for the petrol and just get some stuff. 20 minutes later, I was still sat in the car, no sign from Justin. And I just I called Lindsay and I was nearly crying. I thought you'd died in the toilet. <laughs> I genuinely thought you'd gone into the toilet and just going for a wee. And then nothing. I'm texting you. Nothing. I'm, like, oh my God, I'm in Justin's car and he's died. I what do I do? And he came out and he went, sorry about that, a bad sandwich. Shitting through the eye of a needle. Oh, the relief.
2: <laughs>
1: That's what I said as well, the relief.
2: It was a bad one, that. I'm very, very regular, too regular. I mean, this is what we're going to be talking about today, but sometimes after stand-up, that release, that
1: adrenaline flow is enough to unlock everything. People that haven't done stand-up think that shitting yourself is a figure of speech. And then they do stand up. (laughs) Anyway, it would be the easiest thing in the world for me to assemble one, two, three men. And then for us to have a laddie chat about what men think and you know what women are like. But that would fail horribly. We need a strong auditor on each episode because we do drift into sexist generalisations. We need people to call bullshit or to give the opposite perspective in order to properly adumbrate our own. Perspective, if you don't mind being the shadow to our moon, and I am joined. I mean, I can't quite. You know, sometimes you fire off an email and someone says yes, and you're like, "Oh my god, nobody should asked," because I'm joined by such such a talented writer and, and presenter. I'm a little bit intimidated, not going to lie. Elizabeth Day is in the house. I mean, how to describe Elizabeth? You may have read her novels. You may have listened to her on the radio, Radio 4, hosting brilliant things about books. You may have seen her on live TV for the first time this year. I know I did, hosting a book show with Oliver Senior, which I watched, which I thought was bloody brilliant. Also holds a special place in my heart because books are massive for me. And I was desperate for bookshops to reopen. And one of the first days they opened, I went to one I think is the best Bookshop in the United Kingdom. Indeed, it's won several prizes simply books. And the first book I bought and the first book I read during lockdown was a recommendation The Party by Elizabeth Day. And it's bloody fantastic. Elizabeth, welcome.
3: That was the most amazing introduction ever for someone as needy as I am, whose love (laughs) language is affirmation and compliments. That was the best thing I've ever heard about myself. I can't thank you enough. And the admiration and intimidation goes both ways. It really does.
1: Oh, well, that's nice to hear. That's nice to hear. Well, I was wondering what subject I could do today that would be tailored to both our panellists. Justin is a stand-up like me, and we've chosen failure today. And without a sort of professorial study of failure, you cannot advance is a stand up. Any stand up who has never failed is a shit stand up. Believe me, they won't last longer than 6 months of trying to blow smoke up their own bottom when they will fracture their spine. I would have thought metaphorically and literally. You have to learn from failure. It is a Darwinian pursuit. Every tiny gig that goes wrong is a gift from God that advances you. So I'm fascinated to speak to Justin about failure. But of course, the other reason I picked it is it's up there with one of my favorite podcasts, How to Fail, with Elizabeth Day. She has these amazing guests on who talk about what failure has taught them. So you're the emeritus professor. failure. I mean, it must have advanced you as a human being. How long have you been doing How to Fail? You must be so good now at taking failure on the chin. I'm basically
3: a perfectly evolved human now. Yeah, that's (laughs) what you're getting at, isn't it? Um, It's had a huge impact on my life, hugely positive. I launched it in July 2018 and I've had some wonderful guests come on and talk about three times in their life when things have gone wrong and what, if anything, they might have learned from that. And it's really taught me that failure is part of the human condition. We can try as much as we like to avoid it, but we never will. And in a way, once you realise that, there's something quite democratic and liberating about that realisation, because you come to understand that the only thing you control is not whether failure happens, but what your response is to it. And your response to it informs what kind of character you become and how you grow as a person. And you're absolutely right about stand-up comedians in the sense that there is a level of honesty that you have to inhabit when you're on stage about what is funny and what isn't that is so brutal because you're getting immediate feedback And failure for me is all about that sense of taking improvisation into life and treating the things that go wrong as data acquisition that brings you closer to the thing that might go right. And even if something doesn't go right ever, it will have taught you something about yourself. In the fullness of time, you'll be able to process that, hopefully. And if you choose to attach meaning to it, then most of the time I think that you can.
1: (laughs) I think there'll be a lot of men listening to that. In their mid-40s, early 50s, living alone in a studio flat, making love to a sock, thinking, so I am winning, technically.
3: Well, you are winning because you might learn that like, next time a different sock might give you a more pleasurable experience, and that's data acquisition. <laughs>
1: I'll have to tell that to Lindsay next time. It was data acquisition I was doing upstairs. <laughs> Okay, so I'm not going to beat around the bush. We will kick off with the definition. I don't think people really need it, but failure is the state or condition of not meeting a desirable or intended objective and may be viewed as the opposite of success. That's the uh, the dictionary. I'm going to kick straight off here, Justin. Do you think men are better or worse, in your experience, Twitter don't light up and cancel me, at dealing with failure?
2: I can't see any gender sort of divide on this. But from my own experience, I think that men find it difficult to accept failure is a failure. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I think they're less definite about that. They'll get to a point where they'll go, well, oh, no, I'll just try it. I'll try it. I'm going to try it again. No, it just didn't work out exactly as a... They'll never go, well, that didn't go right. That, you know.
1: I think you're bang on. I mean, Liz, i could give you two stereotypes straight away. Flat pack. I've, I've never seen a woman smash up flat pack in the garden with a hammer, then burn it whilst laughing like a maniac. <laughs> and also... I'm lost, please give me directions. That's definitely a thing men struggle with. And that's the most basic innocent failure is a failure to find your way around. They're just two examples that would suggest to me men's egos, as Justin puts, it does get in the way of dealing with or processing or acknowledging failure a little bit better. What do you think, Elizabeth, do
3: I totally agree with Justin. And I think part of the issue It's not necessarily male ego, but the cultural expectation of a certain kind of traditional man. And I put that in quotation marks because we do live in such fluid non-binary times. But if you think about your traditional historic straight white man, there is an expectation historically that that man won't be as versed in the language of failure as someone else who doesn't fit that mould might be. And what I mean by that is... When I launched the first series of How to Fail, it was a completely unknown entity. And so for my first eight guests, I really relied on kind of friends and journalistic contacts. And those first eight guests were kind of broadly split 50-50 men and women All of the women said, I failed so many times, I can't whittle it down to just three. Mm -hmm. All of the men, bar one, Justin is absolutely right, said, I don't think I have failed. So I'm not right for this podcast. And I had to persuade them to get on the podcast. And then once they were on the podcast and I was interviewing them, they had failed. I mean, in my perception, they definitely had failed. They just hadn't categorized it as that. They hadn't used that language because exactly as you say, Justin, they were like, well you know, it all worked out in the end and it led me to something. And it, it, it taught me, it taught me so much because it taught me that if you are lucky enough to be born into a world that is broadly made in your image, if you are lucky enough to be a white middle-class cis man, then you might have been born into a world made in your image. So if you encounter an obstacle, you're less likely to see it as a definition, a verdict, of failure on who you are as a person. If you are a woman or a marginalised person or a person of colour, you might feel very differently about it because more obstacles are coming your way because you don't, quote unquote, fit in with the predominant culture. So I think you're absolutely right, Justin. You nailed it.
2: Can I turn that around slightly from a personal point of view? Is And this is going to sound a little bit weird, but from a woe is me point of view is I've never expected to succeed at anything. Yeah. So there's a sort of... Part of my life, my upbringing, and the way that I was brought up, not to expect too much.
1: So failing is just what you do. I mean, my dad put it even stronger. He went, the world's shit. It will turn to shit. Expect shit. If it ain't shit, it's probably fake. That was my dad's life philosophy.
3: (laughs) And I think it's such a good life philosophy in one sense because it's sort of constructive pessimism and you're always going to be pleasantly surprised if it turns out okay. But I think what you're both saying there, which is a really beautiful and valid point, is that there is a class issue here too. And we don't like talking about class in this country, even though it affects so much of our daily existence. And that's something that often gets overlooked. So again, if you're from a different class from the ruling elite, you're also going to feel like, oh, well, hang on a second. If that hasn't gone right, maybe I've done something wrong because I don't fit in with the predominant culture of
1: the times I try not in this show to drift into um, the areas we work into because we obviously do quite unusual jobs but stand-up is really weird isn't it Justin because it comes out of a, a working class musical background but the people that run the gaff are Oxford and Cambridge so when you come into it new You're performing in front of working class people having a drink mostly unless you're sort of in a trendy part of London. But the game is controlled by Ollie and Jessica at the top of the tree at the BBC deciding who gets commissioned and who doesn't. I think that's really funny. Uh, So so it's quite a back-to-front topsy-turvy word. It's hard to know when you're failing and succeeding in our business, isn't it?
2: It definitely is. And From somebody like myself who started late into stand-up or show business and I just sort of meandered through life and had been – not successful. I've not failed. I just got through life. And then suddenly at 29, I was really good at something. And even now, 20 years later, saying those words out loud still feels weird for me because I'm not a shout from the rooftops guy, but I was really good at it. So when success came my way, I found it equally hard to be as excited about it as I would be About accepting failure. Does Mm. that make some sense? Yes.
1: It's because it's underwritten with a, we'll probably turn to shit in a while insurance policy. So I said, I was talking to my audience last night, because I talk about lockdown and and self-employment. You see some of them thinking, hang on a second, this is a big old theory. You can't be like that worried when you got locked down. I was like, yeah, but when you're brought up a certain way, poverty and failure stalks you like a a monster, a hundred yards behind the street. No amount of money will feel that, a whole no amount of TV shows a success. Any moment, boy, it could be taken away. Expect it.
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds.
1: Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Um, I want to talk a little bit about fear, actually, as I've drifted onto it, because I've got the results of a survey here, a study, and females report even though they are better at acknowledging failure, they report a higher fear of failure. Results from a study indicated that females reported significantly higher fear of failure than their male counterparts. Females also demonstrated higher scores on the subscales of fears of experiencing shame and embarrassment, fears of devaluing one's self-estimate, and fears of having an uncertain future. So it would seem, Elizabeth, that while a lot of the girls in our life are better at saying, yeah, that was a failure, they fear it more. Is that because there's more at stake because the society we live in or un- unpack that
3: there's so much to unpack there because or it could just be that women are more likely to answer a survey saying yes i feel the fear of failure than, <laughs> yeah. than men are because true. actually what what Fancy you two were talking yeah, about <laughs> <laughs> what you two you know russell you said that like failure and poverty stalked you like growing up so that for me i would categorize as a fear but mm. you might not answer one of those surveys in the first
1: place true but do you fear failure
3: Uh, not anymore not anymore I fear not belonging I think that's what I've come to the conclusion and that's different from fitting in and Mm. for many many years I wanted to fit in and I grew up in Northern Ireland you can't tell don't have the accent that was part of my issue was that I ended up not having a very good time at school because I sounded so different and I was desperate to fit in and desperate to change myself to fit in and that's the difference between fitting in and belonging because belonging is actually being accepted as you are and I feel actually through the podcast and through talking openly Openly about failure and my own sense of failure and being as I really am on a public platform I've gained so much more acceptance and realization that actually when we're honest about the vulnerable moments that's what connects us but I think a lot of women are really fearful of going there because there is still a cultural value placed on appearing to be perfect and I was raised in the 80s when I was raised by a generation of incredibly strong women who had fought all the feminist battles and who encouraged us to believe that we could have it all we could have a career we'll get pregnant at the right time but don't whatever you do get pregnant by accident and the most important thing is to practice safe sex and like don't worry and just get your career and actually That's quite exhausting when you're trying to live up to that, to this neoplatonic ideal of what is perfect. Like, none of us actually is. But there's still a great expectation on women, I think, because we're still fighting some of those battles.
1: Listening to that philosophy, I do sometimes feel... But what's happened sort of after feminism and all that is men are experiencing this in reverse. So we're having a sort of trickle down where we're like, oh my God, I need to be like this totally emotionally engaged, vulnerable man who doesn't even naturally grow a beard. So maybe I can spontaneously lactate and breastfeed and be equal in loving energy to the women around. So I sometimes worry that feminism, rather than li- leveling up phrase of the day, lifting women up, is sort of bringing us to this horrible place in the middle where we're all shaving every hair off our body and have no security emotionally whatsoever. What do you fear, Justin? Do you have that fear as a man? I'll admit it. I have that fear all the time that I'm not engaged enough as a parent, that I'm not exhibiting enough of the, in inverted commas, feminine traits with my daughter, that I should be around her all the time, that I work too much. So I'm feeling the pressure from the other way. I did not know if that was a fear you had or what, and if not, what fears do you have?
2: My biggest fear in that regard
1: is sort of being a man around women is that I fail to understand
2: people's needs and wants and desires and my fear is that I will just blunder in and that's how I'll fail. So my fear is I'll speak too much. I'll say the wrong thing and not mean it. And then spend the entire rest of the conversation saying, I didn't mean to say what I said. I didn't, because nobody wants to think that they're a misogynist or they're a typical man or, or, or anything. Anybody who's got anything about them doesn't want to think that.
1: Unless you're touring in Australia, then there's a, there's a lot of money in it then. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But at the same time, I don't know what you <laughs> feel think about this, because I know this is a, a, a sort of, I know it's a trope then, and that's a negative word, but it is a plough that you furrowed, Russell, the the idea that you are not a manly man and – Perhaps some women in your life wanted a manly man. I wanted you to be oh, a, a little bit more masculine. It was a yeah.
1: nightmare. I just a complete left school without the kiss-genity being lost, let alone anything else. I don't think I even touched the arm of a cardigan till I was 17. When you grow up on like a... I was in a council road, but I was surrounded by council estates. There is a massive distinction if you grow up in council housing. <laughs> so I was in a road. I had a garden. Yes, it was a council house. but We bought our own council house. That's the big difference. But I would say up until about the age of 25, the main things women were sexually attracted to were men who looked like they could potentially emotionally abuse them and did coke at the pub at the weekend. Meanwhile, I was yeah. trying to read like Penguin Classics, which my dad thought were a biscuit. So uh, there was like an inverse relationship between a sort of masculinity. You know, you, I'd failed at b- being a, a man. I mean, I still do. I'm still crap. I can't change a tire. I can't put a shelf up.
2: The thing is with me is I come across as this roughy-toughy, Sort of roly-poly northern funny man, yeah? <laughs> but I'm not too dissimilar to you at heart. You know, I like the same things that you like, but it's more difficult for me to express that. That's my biggest failing in life is that I didn't go to university because nobody expected me to. My biggest failing is 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 to say actually I do like going to art galleries. I like to go to the theatre. I read poetry. I have aspirations to do other things and. And actually, no one will ever accept that from me. And this definitely happens in the world of stand-up comedy. You know, the idea that you can't be who you want to be because the gatekeepers of our industry won't allow
1: it. That goes back to what you were saying, Elizabeth, about a failure of um, sort of belonging or fitting in, doesn't it?
3: I mean, I cannot tell you what a privilege it is eavesdropping on this conversation, because what I hear when you two are talking are two deeply sensitive men. (laughs) As much as you might think you come across a certain way, the very fact that you're having this exchange shows that you are interested in other humans and empathetic beings and you want to extend the reach of your compassion and that is all we can ask of any multifaceted human I think we're all let down by our stereotypes we're all let down by a cultural stereotype of what a man should be what a woman should be and what a person of a certain background should be and I think the most important thing we can do you know I don't think I'm racist but I also have to acknowledge that I have benefited from the institutions of racism for millennia before me. And so there's part of me that has to acknowledge that and really listen when someone is telling me that something is hurting them. And I think it's the same with men and feminism, that sometimes the pendulum has to swing to one extreme to rebalance itself. But it doesn't mean that it's not a really difficult place for men to be right now.
1: Would you say, Elizabeth, I mean, we're getting deep now. We're so deep. We're going to need oxygen tanks in a minute. We're underground here. But would you say you can inherit failure then? That's what it sounds like me are saying. You can inherit a sort of cultural failure and it can sit with you.
3: Yeah, I think you can. And I think it's the responsibility of all of us to understand what we want to do with that. By the time that we're adults, I think that the most evolved people I know have done the work on themselves, whether that be going to therapy or listening to podcasts that they find helpful, and are taking responsibility for updating their own narratives about themselves, so that we're not constantly hijacked by the narrative that society's telling us, or that a critical parent was telling us, or the teacher who told us we'd never amount to much was telling us. Like we are now driving our own cars in a way, and so we need to update. That narrative, that's the responsibility we have to ourselves.
1: One, one last little uh, gender study, bear with me. But young girls respond to failure differently than boys. When girls make mistakes, they're more likely to interpret the setback as a sign that they lack ability, a factor much harder for girls to change. Boys, on the other hand, tend to attribute failure when they acknowledge them, I should put in brackets, given our established insights to more controllable circumstances so when a man fails you fail because xyz obviously you know stars won't align we'll go back in we'll pitch again we'll go again stronger next week yeah whereas the study would suggest and it starts with girls which is terrifying for me as I have a six-year-old daughter that they process it as a comment on them in themselves have you experienced that at all, Elizabeth? Or- so
3: when I answer questions like this, I'm very aware of like the parents in my life and how they're raising children right now. And I think that's massively changing because we are having conversations like this. I feel like the next generation of boys and girls will probably feel more similarly about things that historically have come with gender imbalance. I mean, that's my... Hope, what do you think, Justin? I don't know if you're a dad.
2: Yeah, well, interestingly, I have uh, two children. I have one each of them of the uh, of the types.
1: You uh, <laughs> can't say they, that anymore, they- Justin. You can't say that. You'll get cancelled.
2: <laughs> I'm a proud father of a rainbow family. <laughs> and um, the experiences I've had is that, that both my children are similar genetically and sort of nature and nurture and conditioning and everything else. But my son is more hesitant to accept risk and therefore the chance of failure
3: your son is okay
2: my son is my eldest son and he's 24 years old now that was uh, through school and that could be for a number of reasons and obviously a very small sample size whereas my daughter is super confident
1: and how does she process failure and what's she like when it does go pear-shaped is she good with that
2: i mean a friend of mine's father died and when he died i said to her are you all right and she said, I'm all right, because my dad has filled me with confidence all my life. And that was the single biggest parenting tip I ever took. She didn't give it me as a tip, she just said it. And so I think I filled my daughter with as much confidence as I possibly can do, to the point where, if she does fail, <laughs> she might not even know she has, and it doesn't really <laughs> matter. She just one. walks around. With... It's an interesting... Do you know what's an interesting thing about being a parent of a, of a girl? And You spoke about your daughter, who's six and I have met her, Russell, and my daughter being 16 now, and there's a very common thing that people go, they went, oh, yeah, I uh, I used to be a right blokey bloke, and then I got a daughter and it changed me. Mm. And then a lot of feminists and people, you know, right-thinking people go, it shouldn't take you having a daughter to become a better person. And how dare you? And they're like, But actually, she's made me a better person. Not just having a daughter, having access to a young, switched-on, interesting Funny female growing up now in generation whatever she is, she, I don't know what is she a boo? I, I
1: think we've gone back round to A again now, yeah.
2: haven't we? <laughs> like number <Yeah>. plates. <laughs> no, she's she's a she's a mil-
1: seven one plate. Two-
2: <laughs> she's the one after the millennium. Yeah. She's on a she's on a two thousand and five yeah. <laughs> two thousand and
1: five um, plate. Yeah, good 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 run.
2: But she does anticipate failure much more than my son. She worries about exams. And she frets and frets and frets and then does well and then is overjoyed with that, hmm. even when she's not done as well as I thought she was going to do.
3: So my best friend has two young children, a girl and a boy, 10-year-old boy, 7-year-old girl, and she recounts this instance once where her eldest went into the school playground and it was in the aftermath of the Me Too movement and Time's Up and all of that, really positive revolutionary stuff and her son went into the playground and there were girls in his class wearing t-shirts saying girls rule and basically telling her son oh girls are the best you're so rubbish and he came back really upset by that and spoke to her about it and it actually made me realize for the first time how when big societal change is happening, there isn't a lot of room for nuance. Yeah. And and how he felt really vulnerable in that space and that he didn't know what his role was. And I just think that we need to be really careful, women and men, of, of sort of these broad brushstrokes saying, well, girls are like this and boys like this. And that's why I think the new generation are kind of, as you say, Justin, just teaching us as much as we're learning.
2: Yeah, the T-shirts should say girls rule as well. Yes, exactly. 100%. You know, that's that's, yeah. that, that's the thing. About, my daughter, was I, we brought her up to tell her she could do anything. You know, that's a very simple thing. You can do anything, whatever you want to do. As long as you're happy, do whatever you want to do. And she goes to Catholic school.
1: And her big thing is now, Pope. oh, I can't be the Pope. Yeah. <laughs> they should say girls rule, particularly in New Zealand and Germany, where it's, it's yeah. literally true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth, Justin, we're going to take a break there. Otherwise, I couldn't have a break and I would have failed to generate any commercial interest in this podcast.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.